what were we saying earlier? Scott and I were, you think people will clap? And he's like, I just want them to raise their hands first. So we're coming. Come on, people. Watch yourselves. Turn in your Bibles to, where are we? Galatians. Galatians 4. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can click on events and uh, find Reservoir Church. Bill got a new phone. So this is the third person this morning that's helping him uh, work his phone. It's the <laughs> exact same kind of phone that he had before, but it's new, so it doesn't make any sense. Oh, I love Bill. Uh, pray for Mama Christina as she is in Nebraska caring for her parents, that they just have wisdom and opportunity. And we're really praying for an opening for a home for Papa Glenn. Um, and so just pray that the Lord's favor would go before them in that. All right, the gospel is a song that keeps us where we belong. Oh, that, that rhymes. I didn't realize that. The gospel is a song that keeps us where we belong. So this is what we hear this morning from Galatians 4. Here, the word of the Lord, starting in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham has two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the woman represent the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery, and that is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be many more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And as we look to hear your truth from it, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us that you would make clear to us the distinction between the law and what it says in the gospel and what it sings over us. That we too would recognize that we are children of the free woman. We have freedom in Christ by his work. Lord, help me and my sins are many that I would glorify Jesus alone in this place today. In your name we pray. Amen. So the gospel is a song that keeps us where we belong. Last week, somebody in particular over here was mentioning how William Wallace was the motivation for their daughter to wear a required skirt to school, you know. Um, and I haven't actually stopped thinking about their mentioning of this bloodied man as the reason their daughter was willing to wear a skirt to school since. And 
It's this imagery from Braveheart, primarily, right? You got everybody seen Braveheart know what we're talking about when we mention that movie. This vision of this warrior king is going to fight for freedom. And it's an iconic film that probably added more to the lore of the story than is historic reality. But there is this penultimate scene, and Wallace gives a speech that then sends the troops into, into battle for more than just achieving victory. They actually fight for freedom. And then the scene, he's giving a speech to rally the troops, and a veteran soldier says, fight against that? No, we will run and we will live. To which Wallace replies, hey, fight and you may die. Run and you will live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. It's much better in an Australian accent trying to be a Scottish accent. But we hear this, right? And this is, I mean, if you've watched this movie in a cinematic experience, right? The hair on your arms goes up and you get goosebumps and pair the speech in the drama paired with this dramatic score that's kind of playing the music underneath everything and we want to be on a side like we'll take up our sword we'll take up our pitchfork whatever we have and we want to be fighting for freedom and it's, it had to be huge with American audiences because this is our thing our freedom right a declaration of freedom and in the movie that then is paired with death and it's tragically heroic. But I, I've been thinking about it all this week, not just because of the mention of this having to wear a skirt to school, but the blood and guts, the battle of kingdoms, that I think we find it iconic because it actually speaks of your daily life. Right Now, now hear me out. You, you're thinking blood and guts. Some of you just had children. You know what I'm talking about. But you exist right at this moment in the midst of declarations and maneuvers of two kingdoms. One that is familiar to you and one that is actually foreign to us. But it's the different kingdom that our souls actually must find rest in or all is lost. So in a way, the Galatian churches are having at this moment that they receive this letter from the Apostle Paul, a brave heart experience. There are two kingdoms waging a spiritual battle, and Paul makes it clear you are either of the flesh or of the spirit. There is no in-between. So there's a song playing in the background, and what tune the churches carry will be the difference of life and death, joy or despair, hope or condemnation. So the gospel is a song that keeps us where we belong. As we've been studying this letter to the Galatian churches, we see the law and gospel distinction in bright colors as Paul leads them and invites them back to the teaching of Christ. Because the church was formed by the preaching of Jesus as King, as the Messiah that by His grace gives salvation to all who believe in Him. That's the foundation. That's the fullness of the basis of the church. And this means anyone can come. 
No matter your experience, your knowledge, or your ethnicity in that moment, you can be of Christ. You can be in his kingdom. And some got seriously nervous about this reality. Because here, things that used to be unclean, even people are now mingling with the quote-unquote pure. The false teachers then come from Jerusalem into this region where these churches are, and they say that new believers may, must actually carry the weight of the law. To be a Christian, you actually have to uh, follow these rituals or these feast days and behaviors, or you're actually going to miss the kingdom. So what you heard was just like a, a first chapter, and now you have to hear the second chapter and actually be a true Christian. And Paul is writing to correct them and call the churches back to grace, back to this salvation on the basis of faith and nothing else because of the work of Jesus, not our ability to live up to it. And as we approach the closing movements of this powerful letter, then Paul does something that modern like preaching teachers and scholars will say, you never can do with scripture, right? He uses allegory. He uses an old tale, an old story of the people of God to present the truth of the gospel in a new way. He flips this old story used by the false teachers as they've been using it essentially to crush people. And he uses it to break the chains of their captivity. And so the issue at hand is that there are two mothers, and when you know who your mama is, you know who you are. And so tying things back to the promise given to Abraham, he's done this for the last two chapters of this letter. And remember, we are in Christ, children of the promise, descendants of Abraham and heirs of the inheritance. This is radical news for Gentile believers. This is the good news that those far off are brought into this new family. But there are two families, Paul tells us. He says, see, Abraham and Sarah were given the promise of children, but they kept getting older without the the fruit that was expected. So being human, Sarah thinks And tells Abraham, maybe we should take matters into our own hands and bring about the promise of God ourselves. So she gave her servant, Hagar, and then with hopes that Abraham would get her pregnant and then they would have a legacy. Abraham would finally have children. So then Ishmael is born, but along the way, the promise actually comes. And Isaac is born to Sarah and Abraham. So there are then two sons. One by a slave and the other by a free woman. And Paul, as he tells it, one is of the flesh and the other is born of the promise or born by the spirit. And so he tells the churches and us that these two women represent two covenants, two kingdoms, essentially the law and the covenant of grace in the present Jerusalem. Those that are still following the rituals and the Mosaic law corresponds to Hagar and slavery. So those coming from Jerusalem and touting heritage and history, Paul says, no, they're actually the ones in slavery. And they're trying to lure you back into their slavery. They're still under the law and apart from God. This is A bold declaration by Paul to the churches. This would have driven the false teachers crazy, right? 
Because they're out there preaching that if you did not, in fact, have an ethnic or ritualistic tie to Isaac, you couldn't be a child of God. And Paul is like, nah, you're actually sons of Hagar and in slavery, you teachers of the law. But for those that follow Jesus, the free woman, she is our Mother, Gentiles now, like Isaac, are children of the promise. You don't have to go, to back, go backwards. You are free. And so the Galatians, tempted by slavery, are bolstered by the lyrics of the gospel reminder that Paul just keeps on dishing out. And while we are historically far from this Galatians moment, we are so close when it comes to the lure of life on the basis of the flesh. Yet the the remedy for us is exactly the same as it is for the churches in Galatia. And Paul isn't just reviewing ancient history. This story is our story. As John Stott, a scholar, says, Everyone is a slave by nature until in the fullness of God's promise he is set free. So everyone is either an Ishmael or an Isaac, either still what he is by nature, a slave, or by the grace of God set free. So what's the problem? What's the difference at play here? It starts with the truth that the law speaks. These Judaizers seem to be the in crowd and their, their teaching is captivating. We cannot discount that for a moment. They are drawing people in by the way they're teaching and, and what they're putting out there. But it is all a lie. And I love this stunning question that opens our text. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? And we know the law says condemnation, yet we itch for it. It is the weirdest thing about humanity. We want to stay rooted in something that keeps us captive under its weight. Do you hear it? It speaks condemnation because you can never accomplish it. It's it's a Voice that says, do more, try harder, all activity, yet nothing to do with your heart. It's just teaching that says you're saved by what you do, not what has been done for you. And the law and those promoting it then becomes about bending the knee externally. It's like a performative thing, but not in your soul. You're not surrendering who you are to this king. It's the low-tone chastisement of failure in undesirability because if I can't keep up with the law then maybe God doesn't want me or love me maybe he's just mad at me it's so crazy to me that we actually like that because we like to be in control we like to track our progress we like to get our status and we like to stand out above the rabble we want to be those that are pure. We think we can solve the problem of salvation and life by our flesh, by the work that we do. And if we come away from one, with one thing from this study of Galatians, it should be that apart from the grace of Christ, you cannot be saved. Right? We're, we're firm in that. Your effort, your circumcision, your pedigree won't save you. And we think that this is just a first century 
problem. But if we pay attention long enough and we survey the land, we can declare that we are the Galatian churches with our get-ahead schemes, our claims and autonomy, the need to prove that our faith is bigger than the next guy, and our overriding just disregard for Jesus. We become Ishmael's when we attempt to build our identity instead of receiving it from the one who accepts us, forgives us, and wants to be our loving father. And all of it is just slavery. It, it may have a nice doily and lace and uh, flowers around it, but it's, it's just slavery. Charles Spurgeon, the old English preacher, says, All those who trust in works never are free and never can be. If I could keep all of God's law, I should have no right to favor, for I should have done no more than was my duty and be a bond slave still. The law is the most rigorous master in the world. No wise man would love its service, for after all you have done, the law never gives you a thank you for it, but always says, go on, sir, go on. The poor sinner trying to be saved by the law is like a blind horse going round and round a mill and never getting a step further, but only being whipped continually. Yea, the faster he goes, the more work he does, the more he is tired, so much the worse for him. That's what it's like to be under the law. And this is what the law speaks of us, that there's no inheritance and we're just like Jerusalem and her children thinking blessing comes through activity and not promise. And this way of life, friends, it just ends in either despair or pride. And neither of those things is the life in Christ that we are meant for. We end up despairing that I can never live up. I can never earn God's pleasure. Or we end up prideful that I'm not as bad as that dirty sinner next to me, thinking God needs me for my displays of pious superiority. So that's why he'll choose me. And it shouldn't be appealing to us. It shouldn't be appealing to the Galatian churches. And this reminder from Paul is that they have a different mama. They should hear the law and its burden and cast it off, instead living under the song of freedom that Christ has granted us. Am I saying cast out? He's saying in the attitude of your heart, cast out the tendency to want to get right with God through scruples and rules and law keeping. They only ever breed pride and self-sufficiency. They bar you from possessing the inheritance that is yours. They rob you of your true identity and steal your joy. Cast them out and hear once more the gospel from the lips of the Spirit. This is what the law speaks, but what we need is what the gospel sings. And Paul ties Jesus' work to the promise as he has done all along up to this point. And in it, there is no condemnation. There is just freedom. And the very next verse after our text for today is, For freedom Christ sets us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Like, Don't go back to the law. Don't listen to what it speaks and be enchanted by it, but stand in freedom. The kingdom you are a part of has changed. In Christ, you are part of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly now and coming Jerusalem. 
Phil Riken, a long-serving pastor, says the new Jerusalem is not just for the future. God has already started to build his eternal city. The new Jerusalem has replaced the now Jerusalem. The spiritual Jerusalem has superseded the earthly Jerusalem in the plan of God. The promises of the Old Testament were not for the Jews only, but they are fulfilled in the church of Jesus Christ. Anyone who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord is a son or daughter of Sarah, a true child of Abraham. And if we belong to God's family in this way, we are free in Christ. We are citizens of the new Jerusalem and enjoy the freedom of that eternal city. So this is who we are, that the weight is lifted. We're no longer despairing because we know God approves of us in Christ and there's nothing that can rob us of that love. This is the goodness of grace and his news over us and we're not prideful because we are humbled by our residual sinfulness. We're humbled that he would claim us. That the one who knows us fully, better than we know ourselves, would still say, you belong to me. And where the, the law excludes, the gospel sings that you are actually included. You are part of the kingdom in this family by the grace of Christ alone. It's a song that at moments makes our hearts tender and calm, gives us that resolve to carry on. And it's a song that at moment moves our feet. And it's a song that keeps us where we belong in the grace of Christ. Because there's nowhere else to go. The only other option is slavery. And we should not go back to it. Because Christ died for us to set us free. I've been intrigued lately by simple recipes right and cooks that can make a meal with five ingredients and it's a meal that dazzles right and you can do it in less time and and to be honest it's not like i'm actually gonna cook sorry baby don't get your hopes up i just i just like the idea and then i realize that that's what we do with christianity well, we, we say something like, well, you don't need to do a lot to be saved, but if you just do these five things, you can be a child of God. If you pray a prayer or attend church three out of four weeks, if you vote in the only way that is clearly Christian, which is in my way, um, or if you pick the neighbor to love, and oh, if you spank your children, then you can be a Christian. Add your list. Add whatever those easy ingredients are that you've grown up with hearing that this is what it means to be a Christian. Because scripture tells us that salvation is external. It's happening to us so that we would trust in Jesus. And we look at the recipe and the only ingredient is Christ. That's it. One ingredient. This is a meal that dazzles. Steve Brown is this old curmudgeon-y preacher, but he says almost everything we've been taught to do and think concerning the Christian life is not only wrong, it only makes things worse. Trying harder doesn't work. You should know that by now. Becoming more religious will only magnify the problem. Being disciplined and making a commitment will more often than not cause you to hit the rocks of reality. And your efforts in the end will turn to dust. Pretending is stupid. At some point, you'll slip up and be shamed. And reading the latest book on making an impact, changing the world, or being driven by a purpose as good as those things can be will probably drive you nuts. You'll only feel guiltier, 
Motivational advice, biblical directives, challenges, and resolutions are dogs that simply won't hunt anymore. And this is what the Galatians are lured into by the speaking of the law. But the gospel sings so much better and may the song drown out the speaking of the law that freedom is found only in Jesus and there is nowhere else to go. And that he pursues you not to judge you or harass you, but to hug you, to hold you and to keep you for all of eternity. We are children of the promise, not by the flesh, but by the spirit for the letter. The law actually kills, but the spirit gives life So the Holy Spirit gives us a new will when we are in Christ that wants what God wants. A new heart that loves God and hates idolatry. A new purpose to serve God and others. A new destiny, hope in the coming kingdom and freedom from trying to build a utopia on earth out of your own retirement fund. And these are the first fruits of the new covenant blessing being fulfilled in you. Just like Isaac, the rest of the inheritance will follow as surely as the dawn follows dusk. And did you notice in our text that Paul was singing? Did, did you catch that? When he's singing um, out of the prophet Isaiah and he says that he's reflecting on the spiritual freedom of the true sonship. He actually breaks in a song, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. And he's singing because love has set his feet to dancing. He's free to call upon God and to love God. He's so filled with love. He even desires to love his neighbor. And he sees that this freedom is going to fill the new Jerusalem with more souls than the old Jerusalem ever had. And that's why he's willing to write to the churches. And essentially say, will you sing with me of your freedom? Even when those born of the flesh persecute those born of the spirit, which is an interesting um, tension that seems to be, it's like you're going to be persecuted by people that are likely in the church. Even when that happens, we remain children of the free woman, unmoved and secure in Christ for. Ever And when we get it, when we hear and own the song for ourselves, we sing back. Ray Ortland has written a phenomenal book that just came out called The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility. Highly recommend it. I'll talk to you about it if you want to read it and get real about life. But he talks about music and singing back in one of his concluding chapters. And he says, music shapes us more than laws do. Music moves our hearts, which is why singing together is a creative force for a whole new world. I remember the civil rights movement in the 1960s when uh, Bob Dylan and Mahalia Jackson and others giving the people music that validated their longings and inspired their courage. And here's a true story from that era. Jamila Jones, as a girl in 1958, went to the Highlander Folk School in Tennessee for training in activism. And the police raided her school. The city shut off the electrical power. And in the darkness of that night, Jamila and her young friends began to sing, We Are Not Afraid, to the tune of We Shall Overcome. And in an interview recorded by the Library of Congress, Jamila told us what happened next. And she said, we got louder and louder with singing that verse until one of the policemen came and he said to me, if you have to sing, and he was actually shaking, do you have to sing so loud? 
And I could not believe it. Here these people had all the guns, the billy clubs, the power. We thought. And he was asking me with a shake if I would not sing so loud. And it was that time that I really understood the power of our music. Friends, the gospel sings in the face of our enemies and condemnation, and it is louder. Living under this song will not be easy. In fact, you'll probably go on sinning, hopefully less, but you still will. And the one who sings to quiet our soul frees us from despair when we do. Because in your sin is actually where you are most loved. He sees us, knows more about us than we do, and he still says, mine. This Freedom then gives us a settled humility that others hopefully will notice and might just be drawn to Christ through. One church has what I think is an appropriate church mantra. It goes like this. I'm a complete idiot. My future is incredibly bright and anyone can get in on this. The gospel is a song that keeps us where we belong, secure with Christ now and forevermore. Friends, Let the song keep you. Let the gospel give you hope for today and for tomorrow. If you insist on living religiously according to the flesh, remember that Abraham had a son according to the flesh, but Ishmael didn't get the inheritance. But if by faith you hold on to what Jesus did on the cross, you can bank on two things. The pain of persecution and the privilege of inheritance. And they can persecute you, but they can't take away your freedom in Christ. And what a privilege to share in the suffering of Christ in doing so from the safety of his arms. This is who we are in him. So here, the sweet, resounding melody of the gospel, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus for you, for salvation and new life, period. And sing it to one another. Sing of freedom and life by the Spirit. Burst into song and shout. Sing it softly when appropriate and at the top of your lungs the rest of the time. And as you sing, just live. Rejoice. You are free in Christ. You are children of the free woman. You are heirs according to the promise. You are kept forever. William Wallace, at least the the Braveheart version, was heroic. But friends, he is a pale reflection of the true king whose death made this promise true, whose resurrection is the refrain that sends us soaring. So hear the gospel of how it sings and sing on together for the glory of Christ and for your good. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've heard your song. For some of us, it is a, a, an old song that we hold tightly, that we find so dear, that brings us back to the moment of salvation in your grace over and over again. And that's what we need. Or make that song stand out to us today. And Lord, for some of us, maybe it's the first time that we understand the verses in the chorus of freedom, of um, not trusting in the flesh and what we can do, but trusting alone in what Jesus has done for us. 
Lord, drive that song deep into our souls that we would find a settled humility in light of Christ's work for us, that we would experience your salvation, your good for us. And Lord, make us a people that sing, that declare the truth of the gospel, the freedom of grace with everything of who we are, that the world would see that you would be lifted high. In Jesus' name.